This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Churches today, pastors, teachers, and preachers are avoiding the word hell. We don't want to talk about hell because it makes them feel uncomfortable. That's what got me saved. Back in my day, don't talk about hell. Don't talk about the blood. Don't talk about repent. Talk about the feel-good message. And of course, with a feel-good message, you're going to fill an arena of 60,000 people. But when you talk about Jesus, you talk about hell, you talk about repentance and the blood of Christ... That's what's going to change lives. There are some churches who use hell as a fear-driving tactic. Other churches try to avoid talking about hell altogether. What Pastor Eddie reminds us of in today's message is that while both approaches have their place in the church, neither of them have the power to truly change lives. It's the love of God, His grace and mercy and forgiveness that really have an impact on people. Fear of hell will always be secondary to the love of Christ. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 as he continues his message, God's Final Judgment and His Glory. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, it tells us, do not be deceived, and many are, even Christians. God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, that he will also reap. Everything you sow. Don't think that you got away with it. All the sin, oh, I'm getting away with it. God understands my heart. Yes, the heart is wicked. Who can know it? He knows your heart. Your heart is wicked. I know your heart. I mean, I know every detail of your life, but I know your heart because your heart is just like mine. It's evil, wicked. As Jeremiah said, who can know it? Oh, I could do it. Uh, God's nice. He's graceful. I could sin. I could live my life the way I want to. God will forgive me. No, whatever you sow, you would reap. God sees all things. Remember that. God sees all things. And God will bring judgment to those who have and who are persecuting his people. The judgment of God requires that the unrighteous be punished. Otherwise, he won't be a righteous judge. He wouldn't be a righteous God if he doesn't judge the wicked. Job chapter 36, verse 6, it says this, He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but give justice to the oppressed. Psalms 37, verse 28, it says, For the Lord loves justice. He loves justice because he judges righteously and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Understand, and God takes no pleasure in the death and the judgment of the wicked. Ezekiel tells us that he takes no pleasure in it. He wouldn't be a loving God if he took pleasure in it. For those of you who are parents, you know it hurts you when you discipline your child, right? It hurts. But you know because you love them and you want them to learn, they have to be disciplined. In the same way, God chastened those who he loved. But the wicked, he takes no pleasure He created them. He loved them. He sent his son to die on the cross for them. 
So don't think that, hey, oh, yeah, God's going to judge the wicked. Yeah, God judged the wicked. No, we should have the heart of God save the wicked, that they may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That should be the heart. Let God be the one to judge. Paul says it is, it is a righteous thing with God to repay. What kind of judge would allow a wicked person to go unpunished? What kind of judge today? Well, some of them don't have morals now. Would a good judge allow a rapist and a murderer of a child go set, be set free? No. God knows. God is not like man. He's a righteous judge. And for those, those of us sometimes that we look at the sin of others, that's why Jesus says do not judge. Make righteous judgment. In other words, you, you, you have to judge no false prophet. But don't judge unto condemnation. That's the judgment. People say, oh, don't judge me. The Bible says do not judge. No, you're wrong. There's two judgments. There's a righteous judgment where you see things that are actually sinful, but there's a judgment that Jesus says, hey, take that telephone pole out of your eye before you take the dust out of your brother's eye because sin, it doesn't look bad when you do it. It looks bad when somebody else does it. And without judgment, we bring condemnation with it. That's where we need to be careful. Who are we to judge where there's condemnation? That shouldn't be in our hearts. That's why it's not your place. But we have God who's a righteous judge. He knows how to judge. He knows and he judged righteously. In fact, during the great tribulation, at the very end, you have the seven seals of the scroll. The last seal opens up the seven, loosens the seven trumpets. The last trumpet ushers in the seven golden bowls. And even the angels, that they're pouring out the bowls of God's wrath onto earth. They say, righteous are you, Lord. As God is bringing judgment to a God-rejecting world, we're not here for that, by the way. We're raptured up. There's a honeymoon going on between the church, the bride of Christ, and Jesus. We're celebrating seven years of heaven, this honeymoon, seven, well, seven years of tribulation here on earth. But the bowls are being poured out. And here, the angels, you'll find that say, you are righteous, O Lord. In Revelation chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, it says this, And I heard the angel of the waters. This is the angel. The water that we drink. We have water that we can drink. There's going to come a time where it's going to be bitter. It's going to be polluted. He says, and there's angels protecting the water. But this angel is protecting the water. He says, it says, and I heard an angel of the water saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for this is their just due. Verse 7, and I heard another in the altar, that's up in heaven, saying, amen. That's my version. Even so, Lord God, true and righteous are your judgment. The angels that God has used to protect this world, its environment, they say, boy, what's taking God so long, you know? I would have judged them a long time ago. Even the saints under the altar in, in Revelation said, how long, O oh Lord? And the Lord said unto the number of those who have been killed the way you have, they've been headed. Those are the tribulation saints. There are people who are going to get saved because they're going to understand why you're gone, why you're not here. And you did talk about this rapture. You did talk about God's judgment. So I missed it. You think it's hard to worship God now? Wait till the church is gone. But these angels say, righteous are you. Verse 7. 
He said, and to give you, that's you and I, give you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, because of the intense persecution that Thessalonians believe, again, that they were going through the great tribulation, Paul says, hey, guys, listen. He says, you who are troubled, rest with us. Rest. You're not going through the great tribulation. God is not going to bring judgment on his people. Abraham knew that. He didn't have the Bible. He said, the Lord is not like you to judge the righteous with the wicked. Rest with us. This is applicable for you and me today. Rest because our rest is in who? The person, Jesus Christ. But Jesus backs it up with his word. He backs it up with his promises that he's coming for his church and you're not appointed to wrath. He backs it up. Rest because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he will call up his saints before the great tribulation, before his judgment, before the day of the Lord. And you see this rest is in a person. Hebrews, the writer writes this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, not the people who are not of God. He says, for he who has entered his rest has himself, that's you and I, also ceased from his work as God did from his. There is a rest. If you have studied the analogy, I don't have time to give you this analogy, but I give it to you for homework. Rest was always in the beginning. God rested on the seventh day, not that he was tired. He just stopped. That's what it means. God rested on the seventh day. Noah's name means rest. The ark rested on the seventh month, on the seventh day, Genesis 8.4. And if you study the analogy, it beautifully lines up with the very day that Jesus, if you look at the calendar, the Jewish calendar, it lines up in the very day when Jesus rose from the grave. The same day that the ark rested. Because after judgment, after the judgment of the flood, there's rest in Christ. And we see it the same way. We are resting in Christ now because of what he's done on the cross. Are you at rest? If Jesus would come right now, let's say if he's going to come this very second, would you be ready? There's no rest. There's no rest if you're not ready. But if you feel that Jesus Christ is coming right now this very second, and you feel you're right with God, there's rest. You see? Rest in Christ, but also practically our position in Christ is rest. But practically, we need to be in that rest. It's a rest. Paul's saying, rest with us. Rest with us. Jesus rose from the grave. He's coming for you. Rest. There's rest for the saints and judgment for the ain'ts. Okay? You're either a saint or you ain't. One or the two. According to scripture, we're saints. We're not plaster images of people or people who have died. Paul is writing to saints. Saints are alive if they got to read, right? And they have to be alive to read the letter. We're saints. That title, that name saints has been abused by the Catholic uh, religion. But saints are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You and I are saints. You're the saint or you ain't. And look what happened. If you ain't a saint, verse 8, he said, In flame, flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Vengeance on the ain'ts. You may know God. You may know of God. You may hear of God. 
You may think of God. The question is, do you know God personally? Do you know God where you have a relationship with him intimately? Do you know him as Lord and personal Savior? Paul takes it further, deeper. When he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says that I may know him. Speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, I may know him. And that you can also apply to baptism. And I may know him. I want to know him. And that word know in the Greek is the word kenosko. It means to have a full knowledge, to know intimately, to know the person personally. I knew of Billy Graham, but I never knew him personally. You may know of someone, but you never knew that person personally, you see. A lot of people that have this knowledge, yeah, God, oh, Jesus, is a good man. They know of God, but they don't know God personally. There's going to be judgment for those who do not know God. There's another group. In verse 8, he says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance of those who do not know God and, and, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two groups, just in case, people may throw in, well, I know of God, so if, if he would have said, and those who do not obey the gospel, well, you know, I do good things. I, I, you know, He's filling in the blanks to make sure that we get it covered, who is going to be judged. Those who don't know God, those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you reject the gospel, you reject Jesus. So it's plain, those who reject Jesus Christ. Verse 9, he says, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction, what is it speaking of? The four-letter word, hell. Churches today, pastors, teachers, and preachers are avoiding the word hell. We don't want to talk about hell because it makes them feel uncomfortable. That's what got me saved. Back in my day, don't talk about hell. Don't talk about the blood. Don't talk about repent. Talk about the feel-good message. And of course, with a feel-good message, you're going to fill an arena of 60,000 people. But when you talk about Jesus, you talk about hell, you talk about repentance in the blood of Christ, that's what's going to change lives. It's a warning. Hell is a warning. And that's why Jesus spoke about hell a lot. He spoke about hell a lot. It's everlasting punishment. It's torment. And just the case... You know, you come across those people who say, well, what kind of a loving God would send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's not biblical. Your statement or even your question assumes that God is sending people to hell. Who told you that? God is not sending anybody to hell. That's why he came to the cross. He came to the cross to die for the sins of the world so they might be saved, saved from eternal damnation. And you're going to say he's sending people to hell? He left his throne in glory to take your place, my place, to die. He came to save us from hell, not send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell by rejecting the only way to heaven, the only way to avoid hell. God never sends anybody to hell. And hell was never created for people in the first place. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. It was This place was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what it was made for. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Just as heaven is eternal for those who receive Christ, 
Hell is eternal for those who reject Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 46, and these were going to everlasting punishment, those who reject Christ, but the righteous, those who receive Christ, into eternal life. Again, that is why Jesus came, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The only way to be saved from hell, you have that choice God created us to be a free moral agents. God doesn't force you to, to, to love him. He doesn't force you to accept him. It is your choice. You make that decision. And the only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father. That means to heaven to be with the Father except through me. And praise the Lord Jesus Christ that because of him we can escape, you and I have escaped everlasting fire, hell. He says in verse 9, and these shall be punished into everlasting destruction. It says, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Sin separates man from God. It separates him from his presence and from his glory and power. And the only way to get close to him in his presence and glory is to receive Jesus Christ. Verse 10 It says, when he comes in that day, he is speaking about the day of the Lord, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And so when Christ comes on that day, he will will receive the praise, the glory by his saints, for his saints, and that includes you and I, every single one of us. And now Paul closes uh, his thought here in his letter Uh, with a prayer, and we'll see that in verse 11. He said, therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. In verse 5, back up in verse 5, he says, to be counted worthy of the kingdom, and that's the future. That's the future, what we're looking for to be uh, uh, accounted worthy for the future, but now the present is that we be counted worthy of this calling. And so Paul is praying that the Thessalonians will be counted worthy, and it is something that we should always be praying. Pray that you're counted worthy. Pray that your neighbors, everyone, pray for each other, pray for the church to be counted worthy. This is what Jesus said. We should be praying. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 36, Jesus says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy. Worthy to escape all these things, he's speaking about the great tribulation, that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Those who had left Christ. I know people who accepted Jesus Christ, Lord of Person Savior, they were in ministry, they were singing, and they had a passion, but all of a sudden now they don't believe in Jesus. I heard this, from, and it breaks my heart. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. You can't lose your salvation, but you can walk away from it. You're a free moral agent. You accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, right? You weren't forced to. When you accepted Jesus Christ, does it mean you don't have a free will anymore? You can still walk away. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, no principality, but it didn't say anything about you. As long as I'm in Christ, nothing's going to separate because he loves me. Nothing can remove me from his hand. But if I don't want to, I said, sorry, Lord, I don't want you. I'm sorry you're saved forever. But Lord, I don't want to go to heaven. I, I don't believe in you anymore. I'm sorry. Once saved, always saved. You're coming to heaven. But Lord, I cursed you. Lord, I'm, I'm now a this priest. I kill people. I'm a murderer. I blaspheme your name and your Holy Spirit. 
Sorrowing, once saved, always saved. Logically, it doesn't make sense. That's why he says continue. That's why we have the Bible. That's why you continue. Work out your own salvation with fear and tremble. Why? If you're once saved, always saved, you don't have to worry about it. Once saved, always saved. Why am I doing here? Why am I preaching? Verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Paul's prayer is that God Almighty will enable them, and that prayer is for you and I, that we will continue to obey every impulse to do good, to accomplish everything that we do. We do it for the Lord. We do it in faith. We do it in faith to glorify him. The Christian life, it's about serving God. James, in his letter, he's firm. He's James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's a tough guy. He's an in-your-face. Read James. I, I studied James, and I still got scars from studying James, you know? But we press on. The work that we do is because we're saved. We don't work for salvation. There's nothing you can do to get salvation. But because we're saved, we're working for the kingdom of God. We're sharing the gospel. We're encouraging. We're teaching them what the Bible says. Not tradition. Not religion. Not a feel-good message. It's what the Bible says. There are people dying. They need Jesus. There's two people in this world. Those who have Jesus and those who do not. We still need to minister to both of them. Those who have, do not know Jesus, just share the gospel. Those who know Jesus, they need to be encouraged. We need to encourage one another. And there's, there's ministry. There's no such thing as a sit-down Christian warming up the pews. What are you doing in the body of Christ? We do this for his pleasure. Verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul urged the Christians there, he's telling you and I, that we are to not worry. We've been saved. We have Christ in our heart. We're living for Jesus. We're dying for Jesus. We are living. We're not going to go through the great tribulation. We're going to be raptured before. Some of us may die before the rapture. It's because the grace of God, he will return. But if you can remember one verse, remember verse 7. Because this message is about their being concerned. Paul says in verse 7, rest with us. Take a deep breath. Jesus died on the cross. You have eternal life. Continue to share in the gospel. No matter what you're going through, you're not going through the day of the Lord. You're not going through persecution. Even if you go to persecution, you're not going through trial, the great tribulation that is. You have tribulation in this world, but you're not going through the great tribulation. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Amen. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of 2 Thessalonians with us here on Running the Race. There's much more to learn from this New Testament letter, but our time has come to an end for today. Before we go, we'd like to invite you to visit our website to hear more messages from Pastor Eddie. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com. There, you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. You'll find service times and more information at runningtheraceradio.com. If you've benefited from hearing these messages and you'd like to partner with us, 
We'd gladly accept your support. Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll join us again for another edition with Pastor Eddie, right here on Running the Race.